Well, good morning, church. I love that. Thank you. You can't live without it, and when you have it, you want it to be real and reliable. You look up to people who are full of it and pity people who have none. No one wants to be without it. What is it? To what is Paul Tripp referring? Hope. Hope. Spence said we can live 40 days without food, eight days without water, four minutes without air, but only a few seconds without hope. Where there is hope, there's reason to go on. Lucy and Linus, Lucy and Linus were sitting in front of the TV set when Lucy said to Linus, go get me a glass of water. Linus looked surprised and said, why should I do anything for you? You never do anything for me. Well, Lucy promised on your 75th birthday, on your 75th birthday, I'll bake you a cake. Linus got up, he headed to the kitchen, he said, life is more pleasant when you have something to look forward to. 75 years later, hope, hope. In the course of the day, think about all the things you hope for. You hope that the report from the lab work isn't too serious. You hope you can run into the store quickly and leave. You hope the traffic doesn't make you late for your appointments. You hope your friend will understand why you couldn't make it to his party. You hope that you can work through the issues in your marriage. You hope that your parents understand about the scratch on the car. You hope your speech before the class is well received. You hope it doesn't rain on your day off. You hope my sermon won't go too long. <laughs> Dream on. Well, hope does spring eternal now, doesn't it? A lot of what we hope in will let us down. A lot of what we hope for will disappoint. It's critical we attach ourselves to the right kind of hope. Well, that introduces us to a new sermon series today, beginning in the first letter of Peter. And so if you're not there, I invite you to turn with me in your Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 1. 1 Peter chapter 1, I encourage you to follow along as we look at these five verses later here in a minute. Now, I have entitled this series, Living on Hope. Living on Hope. Now, those of you of curious minds may wonder how I arrive at particular sermon series. I'm sure for a lot of you, that was on your mind driving in this morning, right? Wonder how he gets there. Yeah. Well, I won't bore you with the details of what goes into my selection. But there are many aspects to consider, like uh, current needs of the church, or a balanced diet of Old Testament and New Testament. Or perhaps some theological or practical issue that needs to be addressed. Or some gap in our thinking as, as, as a church and, and so on and so forth. Now you may not know this about me. though. You, those of you who know me best do know this to be true. But as I prayerfully plan out my preaching menu, I am usually looking four to six months ahead, if not even further. 
For example, I'm already thinking and praying through what I'll be preaching on in January through the spring of 2023. It's just kind of how my mind works. Now, that may be all be more information than you care to have. But this series in 1 Peter was decided upon back in the spring and before I preached on Joseph. What I didn't know then that I now know was how connected this series in 1 Peter is to the series that we just came through in the life of Joseph. Joseph encountered many trials. We're going to see that in 1 Peter. Even when doing the right thing, we're going to see that in 1 Peter. He suffered greatly at the hands of people with evil intentions. We're going to see that in this book. That theme's going to run through this time in 1 Peter as well. So that kind of surprised me. Shouldn't have, but it did. But a second surprise to me in choosing this series in 1 Peter back in the spring was to now see the connection to the name change team. I had very little input, by the way, uh, into the name change process. I was informed along the way, but did not influence uh, Pastor Dan as he led the team or, or influence the team itself. They would vouch for that. And those of you who were present this past week at the business meeting heard about that process that led to their recommending uh, the, the name for us to choose as a church. Now, you can find out this process, and I very encourage, strongly encourage you to do this by going online um, to our webpage um, on the tab um, Together initiative, and you'll see something there, if not right now, soon. But their name they recommended is Living Hope Lakeport, which is an evangelical free church, but Living Hope Lakeport. And a verse, a key verse in their selection was this, pro, was this passage here in 1 Peter that we'll be looking at today. That's news to me. Am I choosing 1 Peter for the next sermon series was news to them. And then I was playing with two themes for this series, either living on hope or living on purpose, and it seemed rather obvious as to which one was the right choice. Now, the only one not surprised by the sequence of events was God. All right, enough of that, though I feel it was important to mention, or I wouldn't have mentioned it. First Peter, let's look at First Peter. Peter, with a pastor's heart, writes to encourage some troubled Christians living in an anti-Christian society. They worked for overbearing bosses. Some were under great stress as they lived with unbelieving spouses. Some faced ridicule and, and persecution uh, for the godly stand they took. And so Peter is writing to those who are hurting and on the brink of hopelessness. Pastorally, Peter writes to a flock of Christians who are undergoing suffering. He even suggests that their suffering will get worse. How would they make it? Well, the book of 1 Peter is all about attaching ourselves to the right kind of hope. All right, principle number one this morning is we have steady reminders that this life is not all there is. We have steady reminders that this life is not all there is. 
All right, verse 1, chapter 1, 1 Peter says, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to God's elect strangers in the world, scattered through Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, who have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father. Now see the, the Trinity here at work. God the Father, through the sanctifying work of the Spirit, for obedience to Jesus Christ, and sprinkling by his blood, grace and peace be yours in abundance. Now, it's worth pointing out how Peter addresses the recipients of this letter. First of all, he addresses them as God's elect. And to add to that, he speaks to them as chosen according to the foreknowledge of God. Elect, chosen, foreknowledge, that will turn any Bible study or mundane conversation over coffee into a lively discussion. Some people really get animated over the subject of God's election and being chosen, and that's all they can talk about. All right, well, I have no intention of taking us down that road this morning. And here we go, oh, pastor, you're acting like a little chicken here. No, nothing to do with that. I want us to see this in context. Peter's use of the word elect and the word chosen were not meant to cause questions and doubts and debates. It was meant to encourage his brothers and sisters in Christ who are undergoing much suffering. And in essence, what he is saying here to them is since God has chosen you, since God has elected you, since God in his grace has done that, be encouraged in knowing that the trials of life are all part of, how, of, of God choosing you, all part of God's purposes for your life. That the one who calls you is faithful to complete his work in you. The God who calls you is able to keep you to the end. Church, don't be threatened by the word elect. No, find great comfort in that truth. These believers needed to hear this. Their existence, their identity are rooted in God calling them out of this world. And that's why it's connected to what he says next here. Strangers in the world, verse 1 still, strangers in the world scattered Strangers in the world scattered, and they were scattered, uh, yes, they were, throughout Asia Minor, which is modern-day Turkey. Why were they scattered? Because of persecution. They had every earthly reason to give up. Their circumstances were bleak. And Peter's message to them is not try harder. His message to them is, oh, you know, just be happy. His message to them is not even, you know, you need to practice positive thinking. You just need to have positive thinking so you can get through this. Kind of like the guy who said, I was going to read a book on positive thinking, and then I thought, what good would that do? <laughs> well, positive thinking to be practiced is a good thing. However, we're need, in need of something more substantial than that. And so right at the outset, the word to these scattered, misplaced, somewhat battered believers is to remind them that they are strangers in this world. And that theme is going to come up again and again in 1 Peter. Peter reminds his suffering readers that this is not their home. They don't fit in this world because their citizenship is somewhere else. See, we too live on foreign soil for our home is in heaven. Church, you are strangers in this world. You're strangers in this world. 
And since that is true, there is a strangeness we should feel as we move about in this world. Now, my greater concern, honestly, is that the church doesn't feel like strangers at all. That we fit in so well that there's no opportunities for others to see the hope that lies within us. No, no, we are strangers in this world. It's been said this way, the world is a bridge. The wise will pass over it, but he will not build his house upon it. Are you trying to build your life on the things of this world? What are you living for? What's your hope in? And is it sustainable? Or are you this, you this uh, hope junkie? You kind of bounce from hope to hope. You get a little buzz of hope over here. and You go, oh yeah, this is great. And then that wears off and you run over here to another little buzz of hope and you kind of grab for that a little bit and you go on and on and on. You're this hope junkie. You just look for something else to attach your hope to and on and on it goes and you find out, you know, I'm not really satisfied. Why aren't we satisfied? Well, Max Lucado speaks to this when he says, unhappiness on earth cultivates a hunger for heaven. By gracing us with a deep dissatisfaction, God holds our attention. The only tragedy then is to be satisfied prematurely, to settle for earth, to be content in a strange land. We are not made for this world, but for another. It's been said, earth is not what we'd hoped. It may have its moments, and it does but simply not what we think it should be, and something inside us groans for more. And the groaning takes place because this is not heaven. That groaning is a reminder that this life is not all there is. All right, principle number two. Principle number two, our hope is anchored in the past, but active in the present. Our hope is anchored in the past, but active in the present. Look at verse 3. Peter here, he breaks out to praise to God. He says, praise be to God, Father of our Lord Jesus Christ and his great mercy. He's given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And so out of the gates here, Peter offers praise to God. Now, kind of as a side note here, though though important, is that this, this is a remedy to weighed down hearts, praising God. In times of discouragement, praising God can lift us up. Peter models that. What can we bless or praise God for? He says it, that in God's mercy, he's given us new birth. And Peter wasn't satisfied with just saying uh, mercy. He added great mercy. He means abundant mercy. Our new birth is centered on the great mercy of God. Church, be astounded by that. We don't get what we deserve. The phrase new birth indicates an active, present reality. The Bible teaches that the new birth is the beginning of new life in Christ. It's not the end of the Christian experience. It is the beginning. Do you know this new birth? Have you experienced this new birth? How do you know you have a new birth? Well, if I asked you, 
How do you know you were born physically now? How do, how, do, how do you know you were born physically from your mother's womb? I doubt your answer would be, you know, I know I was born because I can go show you my birth certificate. Well, you know what? This is, I can tell you why, how I know how I was born because I have witnesses here that saw my mom pregnant and then later saw me in her arms. No. Your simple answer would be, I know I was born because here I am. <laughs> I'm alive today. How do you know you are born again, spiritually now? How do you know? All right, you might refer to a time when you signed a card or you raised your hand or you went forward or you said that prayer. That's fine. But I hope you would also say, I know that I am born again because I am alive to God. You can watch me. I am alive to God. I know Him. I trust Him. I follow Him. I hope in Him. The proof that I was born again is my life today. It's active in the present. And that idea carries right into the rest of verse 3 here that says we were born into what? A living hope. What's a living, not just hope here, a living hope. What's a living hope? One that's not dead. (laughs) Brilliant. I hope you have a little more than that for us today, pastor. What What is this living hope all about? All right, let's break this down a little bit. What is hope? What is hope? There was a little boy. He was standing at the foot of an escalator uh, in a large department store, and he was intensely watching the the handrail. He never took his eye off the handrail as the escalator kept going around and around and around. And a salesperson saw him and, and came up and said, Son, are you lost? And the little boy said, Nope. I'm just waiting for my chewing gum to come back. <laughs> that's, that's hope. Intently looking. That's hope. All right. It gets our focus. But what is biblical hope? Is it, is it like the train that could? I think I can. I think I can. Is biblical hope crossing our fingers? No, it's more than wishful thinking. You see, your hope is not even found in your getting a little more religion. Your hope is, is not even found in becoming this better person. Your hope is, is not even found in turning your life around. No, no, that kind of hope is not sustainable. You need a hope that is anchored in the past and active in the present. It's a hope that's the result of the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. It is a living hope. It is a living hope because it is as sure as Christ is alive. Now, this guy Peter here, all right, is writing this. He's the same guy who denied Jesus on the night Jesus was betrayed and arrested. He's the same guy who along with the disciples fled and went into hiding when the one they had pinned all their hopes on was brutalized and died a criminal's death and put into a tomb to rot away. This Peter is the same guy who showed up to the tomb and discovered that it was empty, that Jesus' body was gone. How could this be, he wondered. Now, he knew None of the disciples stole the body because they were behind locked doors fearing for their lives. 
It wouldn't make any sense for the Jewish authorities or the Romans to snatch the body because they needed Jesus dead and buried, not look as if he was alive. The only explanation was that Jesus is risen. And soon that reality would stand in Peter's presence. That Jesus is alive changed everything. Peter went from smashed dreams to witnessing the risen Christ. That's why he's called an apostle here, because he witnessed it. Hope is directly tied to the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Now listen, if Jesus isn't alive, if Jesus isn't alive, then when next Sunday rolls around, let's go meet for breakfast. Why come here? If Jesus isn't alive, then you might as well sleep in next week. You might as well just go play a round of golf. No sense showing up here. But if Jesus is alive, then that changes everything. Christ is triumphant over death. His presence with you right now is as sure as you're sitting there in your seats. And his presence is favorable of a good things to come. You can have full confidence that God is going to do good to you in the future. It is that hope that can steady us in the storms of life. And Hebrews 6.19, Hebrews 6.19, it says, We have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. Is hope your anchor? Is biblical living hope your anchor? The mighty Niagara River plummets some 180 feet at the American and Horseshoe Falls. And before the falls, there are violent, as you can imagine, violent and turbulent rapids. Farther up, farther upstream, however, where the, where the river's current flows more gently, boats are in the water, they're able to navigate and move around. But just before those boats come to this uh, Welland River, which empties into the Niagara, I'm told that there's a pedestrian walkway that spans the river. And posted on this bridge's pylons is a warning sign for all boaters. It says in big letters, do you have an anchor? And then a little bit further downstream is a second sign that says, do you know how to use it? (laughs) Do you know how to use it? Do you have hope as an anchor? Do you know how to use it? How will hope, living hope, help us this coming week? I mean, let's get practical. Well, when you feel like you're treading water and you wonder how you can make it another day, Is there a hope that gives you strength to face that day? When you turn on the news and you hear something so disturbing that you just feel like crawling back into bed and not go out and face the world, do you have a hope that can deal with that? When sadness arises, anger assails you, is there a hope that can lift your eyes beyond it? Is there a hope that meets us in the pit? Is there a hope that speaks to us in our doubts? Is there a hope that can push me through whatever life throws at me? Yes. This living hope. There's a hope anchored in the past, but active in the present. 
It's a confident expectation and full assurance that God will do exactly what he says he will do. We need a hope that looks beyond ourselves, that can trust in the future, but's active in the present and has some impact on us today. I read, I read this true story, and I believe I borrowed it from Alistair Begg, but he, he tells of this true story of this man who was hospitalized suffering from brain cancer. He was impaired deeply by it, and the treatments he was receiving were phenomenally daunting. But his hope was in Christ, and it was striking to all those who cared for him. Matter of fact, one of the nurses on duty, seeing this man, wrote in his chart as a, as a critical comment these words. Mr. X, his name, Mr. X is inappropriately joyful. <laughs> I love that. Inappropriately joyful. What a marvelous testimony. Because one without hope sees no possibility of joy in such situations. But someone watching me go, he's inappropriately joyful. Say that about you? See, a living hope, as obvious as it is, is not dependent on outward circumstances. Listen, a living hope is not dependent on who is in the White House. It's not dependent on what happens in November. Hear me. It's not dependent. Our hope is, is not to be in any administration. It's not to be in any human leader. It's not to be in any church. It's not to be in any person. It's not to be in anything finite. If we make any finite object our ultimate hope, we will become greatly disappointed and even cynical. If, if there's any situation that can take away your hope, it's time for you to get a new hope. Because the only hope that cannot be crushed by this fallen world is a living hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. It's the kind of hope that finds unspeakable joy in suffering. We're going to come back to that next week as we pick it up in verse 6. But you need a living hope. You need it. You need that spiritual reference point in order to get through life. See, we get through life when we know how to get through suffering. We get through suffering when we have a living hope. Let me say it again. It's really a takeaway for this morning, perhaps for the whole series. You might hear this again. We get through life when we know how to get through suffering. We get through suffering when we have a living hope. Our hope is our future glory far away as any temporary suffering now. Our hope is that our future glory is better than our present pain. Church, yours is a living hope. What difference does that make? What difference is this living hope making in your life and in your priorities, your view on life? How does this living hope give significance to life choices? How does it enable you to endure living in a fallen world where pain, suffering, and injustice are norm? Hope, a living hope, is necessary for our well-being. It's a hope that's anchored in the past. It's active in the present as we anticipate the future. All right, let me give you the third principle this morning before we run out of time. Third principle is we've been given a hope that stands the test of time. 
We have been given a hope that stands the test of time. Several years ago, perhaps I've shared with you before this story, but several years ago, Donna and I made reservations. It was when we were living in, in, in Portland, Maine. We made reservations at a hotel in North Conway for just the two of us. We had two little, one, little ones. We needed to get away. I know you don't understand that, but we needed to get away. So we drove... We drove to North Conway, we, we pulled into this parking lot, and we went in to check in at the front desk. And the person behind the front desk stated, uh, in a matter-of-fact way, and quite honestly, quite rude way, that there were no reservations made under that name, and subsequently, no room was available. And of course, as pastor, my first thought was Romans 8.28. <laughs> All things work together for the good, Sure. My first response was, well, you know what, that's okay. These things happen. Well, sadly, that wasn't my response at all or my first thoughts. And I began arguing with her and demanding that she make it right. After all, we drove all the way there. We were looking forward to some time away. She blocked my goal. But you see, I had put my hope in a flawed and finite being. They had messed up our reservations. Listen, God won't mess up our reservations. Look at verse 4. And into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade, kept in heaven for you who through faith are shielded or guarded by God's power. It's a military term. Guarded, shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that's ready to be revealed in the last, in the last time. Do, do you feel the impact of those words? Never. Perish, spoil of fate, kept in heaven for you, shielded, guarded by God's power. Should we ever wonder about our reservations in heaven? Is it to be this wait and see, I hope I can make it perspective? No, all those born again have an inheritance waiting them, no doubt. And this inheritance, it says, can never perish like all earthly possessions. It can never spoil, and that's not polluted by sin. It is unfading, and unlike earthly wealth and possessions, it will never wither or lose its beauty or be taken away. I read a true story of a man who was willed, he was willed a beautiful southern home in Louisiana. However, the very night that the original owner died, that house that was willed to him caught fire and burned to the ground. And, and, and they had no insurance. Beautiful home he was to inherit went up in smoke in an instant. Yes, how quickly the things we inherit in this world can be gone. Not so with our inheritance in heaven. It's incorruptible. This inheritance can stand the test of time. It's kept in heaven for you. And the word kept uh, really indicates a completed past activity with results that continue in the present. It's kept. There was a, a Scotsman who was known to be a man of few words. And he left these instructions as to what he wanted engraved upon his tombstone. It was taken from this passage of Scripture and all boiled down to one word that he wanted engraved on his tombstone. It was the word kept. I like that. I might borrow that one. Kept. That's it. Kept. Do you believe God can keep you? I mean, do you really have to wonder if you're going to make it to the end? 
Yeah, but what if the suffering gets more intense? What if I give up and crack under pressure? God's powerful hand will protect you. God's powerful hand will guard you, keep you. Can you trust him with that? Where are you pinning your hopes? Where are you pinning your hopes? Pastor Brian, where are you pinning your hopes? It's a crucial question. The answer to that question determines our daily conduct and decisions. It determines how we will get through life. There is a hope that stands the test of time. You've been given a living hope. Your life, hope in God has life in it and can bring life to a weary soul. It is, is a resurrection. Your, your living hope is, 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 it has resurrection power. You have living hope because the living Christ lives in you, empowering you to live as he did even in trying times. Oh, you'll still have difficult people. You'll have skeptical neighbors. Oh, you'll have trials in life and irritating circumstances, people who mess up your reservations. You'll have children that will go their own way, spouses that don't love you as you would want, and the many challenges of living out our faith in an anti-Christian world. Shouldn't be surprised by that. And our time in First Peter will provide us with very practical explanation of what it looks like to live on hope in a broken, disappointing world. It's a letter written to people who were suffering. And the whole letter is wrapped around the word hope. It's all about living with forever in view. As a matter of fact, hope can't live without forever. All other hope has a shelf life and will eventually die. The call is to live on hope, real hope that's found in Jesus Christ. Hope is the one thing we can't live without. Biblical hope, living hope. Max Lucado, he tells the story of a little Haitian orphan by the name of Karenetz. He says that Karenet lived in a different world, a world called home to be. Locato says, see the slender girl wearing the pink shirt, the girl with the long nose and bushy hair and a handful of photos? Ask to see the photos. Karenet will let you. Failed to ask, she'll show you anyway. The photos bear the images of her future family because she's been adopted. He says her adoptive parents brought her pictures and a teddy bear and granola bars and cookies. And Karenette shared the goodies, asked the director to guard her bear, but she keeps the pictures. The reminder of her home-to-be. Within a month, two at the most, she'll be there. She knows the day is coming. Every opening of the gate jumps her heart. Any day now, her father will appear. He promised he'd be back. He came once to claim her. He'll come again to carry her home. Till then, she lives with a heart headed home. That story of Karenette is a great illustration of a Christian's hope. Karenette is an orphan who has already been adopted, but she's not yet been picked up by her new daddy. But since she knows that she's going to be picked up soon, she lives with this joyous hope of what's going to happen any day now. She called her different world home to be because she knew that she was going to go there soon. You see, we live every day in a world much different 
from us, and they have been adopted by God. We have a hope that out-hopes all other hopes, even the best ones. And while we wait for our home to be, God has given us a living hope to handle life itself. May you be filled anew with a living hope. Let's pray. God, just impact us with those words that what we have is a living hope. We don't have to just drudge through life and barely survive. He wants to be alive to you, knowing that what we have been given until you come again is this living hope that's planted inside our souls. We live with that. As we look to that which has been anchored in the past, active in the present, as we anticipate the future of what you're going to give us. May our hearts be headed toward home in all things living in this life, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.